You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, recently I had a conversation with one of my buddies. He's kind of a, a truck nut, a car nut, and he told me that Interstate Batteries makes, from a technical standpoint, some of the best car batteries on the market period hands down not only that but they have thousands of retail locations all over the united states so stop in to a local retail store ask the guy who works there about their car batteries and hell you might as well put one in if they're the best in the business so interstatebatteries.com is their website go there find out more information about the culture of the company the batteries that these guys carry or just stop into a, a local retail store interstate batteries outrageously dependable Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas, and today we're talking about Missouri black bear. With me is Micah. Howdy, howdy. What's up, dude? And then our guest today is Laura Conley. Laura is a um, fur bearer biologist with the Missouri Department of Conservation. So we just talk about some black bear topics. Obviously, we get into hunting at the end. Um, yeah, today was more of a science about Missouri bear bear specific and what we're going through yeah so apologize in advance uh she was she was on a cell phone she was outside and so in you kind of some of it kind of comes and goes so yeah. i mean it doesn't it, it i'll do my best is. to edit what we can but yeah um, it is what it is it's but you fine. do lose a little bit here and there so just want to warn you for that yeah so uh, like i said hope you all enjoy the show this is the missouri woods and water podcast All right, welcome to the show. Today we got a, a pretty good one for everybody. I'm here with my co-host Micah. How we doing? Andy uh, couldn't make it today, but that's all right. Um, and today we're going to talk about some Missouri black bear. Exciting. And our guest today is fur bear biologist Laura Conley with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Laura, how you? How's it going? Good, going good. So thanks for coming on. We uh, we're excited to talk to you. And yeah, thank you for having. Me. No problem. And so why don't we just kind of introduce you first. Um, tell us who you are, what you do for MDC, and um, we'll just kind of go from there after that. Sure. That sounds good. Uh, so I am the fur bear biologist for MDC, as you said. And um, with that, I do a couple of different things, uh, but primarily just as kind of the general aspects of it. I work with the fur bearing species that we have here in the state. So um, many of the animals were traditionally harvested for their pelts. Um, so I work with things like raccoons, fox, um, skunks, coyotes, uh, but I also work with black bears and I serve on our large carnivore response team. And so we maintain um, the mountain lion sightings database and things like that. So a variety of different species. Oh, cool. You probably shouldn't have said anything about mountain lions. That gets me excited. <laughs> we might get into another episode 
all together. Just on mountains. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's cool. We'll have to have you back on sometime. Um, so how did you get into, you know, how did you go about becoming a fur bear biologist with MDC? I mean, that's kind of a cool job. You know, we've talked to your one of your colleagues, Aaron Hildreth, who's a cervid biologist, and I'm always interested to know how you kind of got into the career you're in. Yeah, so um, I, you know, initially when I was going into college and stuff like that, I was really interested in some type of outdoor field, some type of natural resources field. And as I went through my undergrad, I became uh, increasingly more interested in wildlife research and, and how that research can inform management decisions. And so I ended up going to grad school down at Southern Illinois University and studied long-tailed weasels. So very different from black bear, um, you know, one of the smallest carnivores that we have here in the state and in one of the smallest carnivores that occurs in many states. And so um, studied space use and habitat selection of long-tailed weasels for a couple of years and then uh, started applying for jobs. And I ended up uh, getting the out in Massachusetts. So I worked there for about eight and a half years, primarily as the fur bear biologist. And then in 2016, uh, my husband and I are originally from the Midwest and we had always wanted to get back to the Midwest. So uh, we were able to move our family to Missouri in 2016 and I was able to uh, get the fur bear biologist position here as well. So um, working with very similar species out in Massachusetts, I worked on their black bear project as well for a portion of the time that I was out there and then coming here um, also working on the black bear project. So I've been working with bears for um, the better part of a decade at this point. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That, they're such a cool animal. I mean, I know you're a fur bear biologist, yeah. so you don't just work with black bear, but they're pretty cool. So absolutely. What, um, now I know, you know, you have a life outside of MDC, so what's your, what's one of your favorite things to do? I usually always ask our, our guests one interesting thing about themselves, whether it's what's their favorite thing about the outdoors, but what's your favorite thing to do outside of your work? You know, I've got a couple of pastimes and hobbies, I guess you would call it. I have some small kids, and so we do what we can with, with the kids and everything, but um, basically spending as much time outside as we can, and I am a big fan of gardening, and so I plant a huge number of tomato plants, and most, most people would call it kind of a ridiculous number of tomato plants for our small family, but um, I process them for sauces and chilies and all that jazz, and I just I love them. So, so I do do a fair bit of gardening when I can in the summers. That's cool. Yeah, we we're big. We have a garden every year, so doesn't do very good half the time. But <laughs> that's always so. the challenge, right? <laughs> anyway, so let's yeah let's get into bears. Yeah. What, um. So, uh, what's the history of the Missouri bear? How long have they been here, and uh, how long have we been getting sightings and everything like that? So when did that all start? Yeah. So bears in Missouri have, have an interesting history, and when you compare it to a lot of other places, it's not very dissimilar. So, so uh, bears kind of across their range during European settlement um, in a lot of areas um, were driven down to low numbers. So here in Missouri... Um, due to unregulated harvest and large-scale habitat changes, um, you know, think think basically logging of the Ozarks. 
so bear numbers were driven really, really low. Now, prior to European settlement, they could be found throughout the forested areas of Missouri. So when you look to kind of early settlers journals and things like that, they talk about bears being in abundance in many places. And so, so they were really found throughout a substantial portion of the state. But then over time, um, their numbers were driven really low to the point where we actually thought they were extirpated. So basically driven to local extinction. And so um, really by the 1930s, bear reports really, really dwindled. We had a handful of reports between the 30s and the 50s. And the question was, you know, are these actually wild bears or are these released captives? Uh, but the thought was that, that bears were um, basically driven down to zero. Now, we know now, based on some of the genetic work that we've done, that it seemed likely we had actually a remnant population that kind of hung on at very low levels in the remote, most remote parts of the Ozarks. But, uh, but by and large, bear numbers were really, really low. Now, as you know, the forest rebounded and the Arkansas population began to grow, that changed here. So um, Arkansas Game and Fish conducted a series of reintroductions on their black bear population in the late 1950s and 1960s. And not surprising, you know, bears don't know political boundaries. So some <laughs> of those bears made their way into Missouri. Um, we, we know that because we had records later in their reintroduction of an ear-tagged bear here. And, and after that reintroduction process, Bear numbers started to slowly climb here. And as that Arkansas population grew, uh, so did reports here in Missouri. So we started to get more frequent reports of bears. And then over time, uh, you know, we started getting reports of sows with cubs. And, uh, you know, so what you would think of as breeding females. And, and for a while, you know, the question was, you know, are these bears that just that their home range basically overlapped the two states? Um, or are they dispersers that kind of wander in and out or are traversing through but then go back to Arkansas? But over time, it became apparent, no, we, we did have a reproducing bear population here in Missouri. And and really, those reports started picking up, um, you know, between from the 1980s and on in the 1990s, we started to get increasing number of reports and, and kind of started putting a call out for folks to submit those reports to us. And um, in 2008, we updated our Black Bear Management Plan. And one of the main objectives of that management plan was to really identify the research needs for the state. So we recognized that we had this uh, breeding bear population within our state um, that is obviously connected to that much larger population to Arkansas. Uh, but how many bears did we have? What kind of habitat requirements did they need in Missouri and things like that? So we had a lot of questions uh, about, you know, what what is it that Missouri bears do and what are their ranges and things like that. Um, and that kind of was the starting point for our very first research project in 2010. Cool. And that's, I mean, that's what I had always heard, you know, we had recently done an episode on elk, and we know that we reintroduced elk in this state officially in 2011. I know the work started a lot earlier than that, but I had, I had never heard yeah. of us actually reintroducing bears. That's right. So they came from Arkansas's reintroduction, um, if you will. So we never actually reintroduced bears into Missouri. So everything that we see with this population growth is kind of that natural recolonization and natural population expansion. Um, and, and obviously our bear population is connected to that of, of Arkansas and Oklahoma as well. So it's part of this much larger bear population. Uh, but yeah, we had, we had never done any reintroductions here in Missouri. 
Talk, cool. talk about a money saver. <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that would, would be expensive to try to reintroduce them. So that, that saved us some money, I guess. <laughs> so um, how many do you estimate that we have in the state now? And, and do we have any actually, one thing Mike and I were kind of talking back and forth about before we called you was, you know, of the numbers that we have in this state that we estimate that we might have, do we have any that are like collared or, or tagged that we are, following to do research like you had talked about in, in 2010? Yeah, absolutely. So so we started that first research project in 2010, and one of the main objectives of that initial research project was to really answer that question of how many bears do we have and to get that baseline population estimate. And so that's kind of the foundational work for where we are today. Um, and they did that population estimate through um, hair snares. So they barbed wire corrals set up throughout the Ozarks and um, collecting bear hair samples, and they can use DNA analyses to um, determine kind of that population estimate. Uh, And that's the foundational work for where we're at today. So we do have collared bears. Um, We we have, I would say, um, just under 30 collared bears right now. All of uh, the majority of females, I think we've got one male that's collared currently. Um, But with those collared bears, uh, we get a wealth of information, and we have been basically studying bears continuously since 2010. So, so there was a little bit of a pause in 2014 when that research project start, stopped and our new one um, started. But we've been monitoring female bears and um, and their dens basically from the beginning, and that information is really critical for understanding how fast the population is growing. So. With that initial study in 2010, we could get to that baseline estimate of around 300 bears, but that doesn't tell you how fast it's growing. And so when you want to understand, you know, what specifically is going on with your population, um, that kind of led us down that road of monitoring female and male survival rates, um, looking at female uh, reproduction and uh, and specifically getting at kind of what are the sex ratios ratios of those litter, how many cubs survived for one year, uh, and then also getting an understanding of habitat needs and home range movements and things like that. And so all of that information has really enabled us to develop a population model um, that uses those different vital rates to get at the current population estimate that we have of 540 to 840 bears statewide. That's quite a bit. And, you know, with the ones that you have collared, what, um, you know, I saw a map that showed, you know, all the different sightings that have been in the state. And I didn't get into the details on, was it a confirmed sighting? You know, was it just a bobcat or or whatever else? But with the ones that are collared, how how far are you seeing them go north with their movements as of now? Yeah, so... Yeah, so we we see kind of a a lot of variability there. So many of the animals that we have collared are adults, and their home ranges are pretty well stable. So they they don't disperse at this point. They're kind of maintaining that stable home range. Uh, But they can occupy pretty big areas. So, you know, a female home range can be anywhere from 10 to 25 square miles when you think about it, um, kind of dependent on food availability and things like that. Uh, Male home ranges are substantially larger than that. And, And during the breeding season, range over 100 square miles so they cover some really big areas Uh, but we have been really lucky with our research project that we have picked up a couple of dispersal movements and so we had an individual male that was collared 
initially down over in like Webster or Wright County down in the southwestern part of the state. Uh, we recaptured him north of Interstate 70 in Warren County. So huge distance away. Um, he moved back south, kind of meandered around um, the, you know, kind of southeastern part of the state, went all the way over to almost Cape County. Um, we recaptured him again in Birch Tree. He denned over near Potosi. And, and just over the couple of years that we had him monitored, when you look at just kind of if you considered those straight line movements and just connected the dots, it was over 400 miles that he moved. And and so, you know, just kind of highlights the ability of these bears to move such substantial distances. And then we've had some dispersal movements, which are a little bit atypical. So females generally um, overlap a portion of their mother's home range. And so when you think about it, it kind of is like, kind of like a rose petal, right? So the mother has a home range. If she has female offspring, they'll create a home range that overlaps a portion of it. And then if they have female offspring, those females will overlap a portion of their mother's range. And so that female component of the population is a little bit slower to expand in range. Um, But we have had some of these female dispersals and those are kind of the, right? They move on and breed where they've established their new home range. Now we've kind of got breeding in those different areas. So we had a female that, um, again, was kind of captured in the southwestern part of the state. And then she ended up moving over 50 miles and kind of set up shop around Houston in Texas County and then moved even further east from there um, over towards Raymondville and into the Sunklands and stuff. And so um, some of these bears, you know, they can move pretty substantial distances. And, and you bring up the, the sighting reports. And so, you know, one of the things right. we like to remind folks with those sightings, like you said, they might not be confirmed. And that's absolutely true. So um, we do ask folks to submit photos to us if they have a photo. But in so many cases, you know, you can just imagine the reports are like the bear ran across the road, right? Or across sure. the trail in front of me and I couldn't get my phone out to take a picture and stuff, stuff like that. So so not every bear report is confirmed. So there's always the possibility that some of those are misidentifications. And that does happen. Um, and that's understandable. Uh, but when you think about how far bears can roam and where we've had some of these bears show up, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Bears versus the Missouri River and something that's a regular occurrence, uh, but it's definitely possible. And when you look at the sightings map that we have, we kind of highlight some expansion areas and around Lake of the Ozarks, that's one big expansion area. So we've got bear numbers increasing in that area. Um, But if you also look south of St. Louis, we get a number of bear reports uh, in the suburbs south of St. Louis. And it's because there's a lot of forest there and that forest is pretty connected to the forest in the southern part of the state. So we get dispersing young bears this time of year um, that show up in some of those counties just about every year. You know, last year we had a bear wander into uh, uh, a parochial school because the doors were open and it got stuck in a bathroom. And so, you know, that was in Eureka. So just like not a bear. far from State 70. Yeah, right. And so, you know, they can move these just huge, huge distances. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so how, as far as our Missouri bears go, what's the average age that we're usually looking at and how long do they usually live for? Yeah, we see in like, you know, we read something that they can live, you know, 18 years. Are we seeing a similar age structure? You know, because if, if we do have that age structure, that's that the older they get, the bigger this number is going to continue to, to grow to, obviously, when you have a bunch of adults 
are we seeing that for the most part or, or what is it looking like? We do, yeah. So, so of the of the bears that we have colored right now, we do see that that age structure. And so, um, you know, a lot of it that that survival can be a little bit variable. But for our female bears in particular, there's, um, you know, upwards of ninety five to ninety five ninety nine percent annual survival. So we have female bears that um, once they get to that adult age class, they're very good at making it to the next year. Um, so obviously we do have some mortalities that occur and sometimes it's a bear hit by a car. Sometimes, um, you know, we do have bears that occasionally get into a nuisance situation and they end up removed that way. Um, but we do see those high survival rates. Um, and, and that's not surprising. Uh, and so we do have some bears that get to those, you know, those older age classes. One of our bears that's in our study right now, I believe pushing 20 something. So in her early twenties, um, and in the wild, they can live up to 25 years, if not, if not close to 30. And so very long lived um, and, and that's the education, right? Because you have a long lived animal. If it starts to get used to human associated foods, well, guess what it does for a long time, right? So it comes back year after year and takes advantage of those foods. And then they teach their young to do the same thing. And so um, just with them being those long lived animals, uh, there's, there's kind of that um, challenge there in terms of making sure that they, they keep their wildness about them and that they don't become accustomed to people. Yeah, yeah. isn't that where we kind of got that saying, if you feed a bear, it's a dead bear or something like that? That's fed right. Bear is a yeah, that's fed. right. Yeah. Yeah. A, a fed bear is a dead bear. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, I know it sounds cliche because you hear it in a lot of different places. You hear it when you travel to, you know, various parks across the country and things like that. Um, but the reason it's said so frequently is because it's true, right? So, you know, you have these bears that they start to get accustomed to human foods. So think trash cans and bird feeders and, um, you know, compost that contains food scraps and things like that. Um, if a bear starts to get used to those things, uh, it's an easy food source. And bears are opportunistic and they're omnivores. So they, they take what's ever easiest, right? And they'll eat a variety of different foods. Um, so, so you can get bears that start to develop this pattern of behavior where they seek out those human-associated foods. And um, some bears will seek out those human-associated foods and they don't cause any issues beyond that. Other bears can, can progress down kind of a pattern of more bold behavior where they get a little bit more bold seeking out those foods. So maybe it's more than just getting into the trash. Maybe they start to break into chicken coops or into sheds or things like that. And so when a bear starts going down that road, um, we have a variety of staff that are trained throughout the state to aversively condition those bears. So basically give that bear a really negative stimulus and hope that it moves on. So by providing that negative stimulus, we're basically teaching that bear that what it's doing is not acceptable and it needs to move on. And in some cases, those bears move on, they don't come back. And it works in other cases, those bears, they're just too accustomed to those foods and sometimes they do come back. And unfortunately, that's when we go down that road of some of those bears do end up getting euthanized yeah. because of those behaviors. And it's really important because a lot of it's preventable, right? We can remove those food sources and make it so the bears can't get access to them kind of, you know, in the front end of it. It's like that uh, drug addict. Some of them, you know, you they go to rehab once and they can they can kick it. And other ones, they just keep going back and back and back until, until it's too late. So mm-hmm. what are they, I mean, it's kind of a twofold question here, I guess. And to our listeners, I kind of forgot to mention this at the beginning. Laura is outside um, in the wind, in the heat on this phone call. So if we lose her here and there, you just got to have to kind of assume she's still talking. Um, but yeah. 
Just bear um, with us. Just bear with us, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, come here for the comedy, folks. Um, so kind of a two, two-part question here. We, we know in general what they eat, but is it pretty similar in Missouri, you know, their diet, small mammals, stuff like that. And on top of that, the, the, the more they move north, and even, of course, in the south, we have all kinds of livestock. Are you seeing any issues with, you know, some larger adult bears and livestock issues? Or have um, those really not reared their ugly head? And then on top of that, as they move further north, um, do you see any issues with crops? You know, I, they're just they're just a bear, but um, ha- have you heard any concerns from farmers and things like that as they get further north? So we d- we do hear concerns related to that, and and I'll I'll touch on all of those, and uh, so we'll start off with what they eat here in Missouri, and yeah, it's 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 not. Um, anything different from from bears that occur in in other similar habitats, right? So uh, bears, they're opportunistic omnivores, so they eat a variety of different food types, and a lot of their foods are really seasonal. So um, when they first come out of that winter den, there's really not a whole lot of foods available to them. So, you know, when you think about it, they're, they're becoming active generally between March and April, um, the females that have newborn cubs with, cubs with them don't move huge distances, so they kind of stick around the den. Um, and if you think about the woods in April here, you know, there's not a ton out there. So what they rely on oftentimes are some of those very first green sprouts that come up, think, you know, wetland vegetation, some of those emergent areas where you get kind of those um, spring green shoots that come up. So they'll eat that. They'll look for leftover acorns. They'll take advantage of carrion, you know, or anything that had died over the winter and is still available. Um, but foods tend to be a little bit limited. Um, as grasses green up in the very early summer, so think about this time of year, you might see bears grazing on some of the grasses. And really what mm-hmm. they're doing is they're just, yeah, they're feeding on whatever is available to hold them over to when some of those foods become more abundant. And um, and what we always wait for with bears is, is that, those first berries that start to ripen. And so, uh, you know, here in Missouri, as with other places, there's very, they're very dependent on the berry crops during the summer months. And so think about berries. Um, and it's crazy to think that, you know, if you think about a 300 pound bear sustaining itself on blackberries during the summer, but that's exactly <laughs> what they do. I mean, they'll eat a variety of other foods too, um, but they go through and they eat a ton of blackberries. They eat a ton of insects. So they'll go ahead and they will dig up, um, you know, they'll dig up logs looking for grubs and ant colonies. You know, they're a forest decomposer. So basically they're tearing up rotten logs looking for insect larvae and, and that they can feed on. Um, they'll dig up, you know, ground nesting, wasp nests and bees nests and things like that going after the larvae and stuff like that. So they do feed on a whole lot of insects in the summer as those insects become more abundant and then those berries. And bears have uh, kind of protruding lips. So when they feed on berries, they actually pluck the berries off individually and will sit there in a berry patch and pluck those berries off of the vines. Um, and they really don't do a ton of damage to the to the berry patches. You know, they might knock some down, but as they're feeding, um, they're really going through picking the right berries and stuff like that. Um, so they rely on that pretty heavily. 
until some of those fall foods start to become available. So when you think, you know, starting in August, you have a variety of other berry types that ripen. You get a variety of different kinds of, you know, fruits that might become available, like cherries and apples and wild plums and things like that. They'll take advantage of all of those things. Um, but the big ticket item for bears in the fall is acorns. That is their primary food source. That's the food source that really gets them through the winter months. And so um, come August, they enter a period of hyperphagia and it is basically them gorging themselves. So they're eating like 20,000 calories a day. The day. I mean, they're, they literally spend the bulk of their time consuming calories and it's hmm. to fatten up. So they through uh, the winter months and really make it, make it through and, and kind of get that fat layer. Um, but one of the key things that you think about with bears is they're opportunistic. So again, you know, they're omnivores, the variety of different types of foods. And that's where that human associated foods kind of comes into play. So especially when natural foods are less abundant. So think, you know, when they come out of their den, foods are a little bit scarce. Um, while they're waiting for those berries to ripen, foods might be a little bit scarce. Uh, if we have a drought and we have a poor berry crop, or if we have a poor mast year, some of those bears seek out alternate food sources. And so then you're thinking about um, chicken feed or trash or bird feeders and things like that. And so, you know, we describe bears as kind of a big raccoon when it comes to their diet. So if a raccoon would eat it, so would a bear. The big difference is, obviously, you're talking about a bear being upwards of 50 pounds. So, you know, there's a substantial difference as to what they might be able to get at and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, and in terms of bears shifting to, uh, you know, utilizing crops or anything like that, that type of thing is certainly possible. So even within the southern part of the state, we do get reports of bears getting into beehives. So we've got a lot of beekeepers across the state. Um, Bears, once they get into beehives, boy, they can do a lot of damage. And so, you know, they're primarily driven by the larvae. They will take advantage of any honey that's available to them. Um, But when they go in, they can destroy, you know, multiple hives in in one night. So, you know, those hives are expensive and um, folks go through a lot of effort to maintain them. Uh, So one of the things that we try to work with um, keepers is to be proactive and utilize electric fencing. Uh, Electric fencing is an incredible tool, um, especially if you set it up from the start and maintain it. You know, if bears don't ever understand that beehives are a food source, then once they come up to that electric fencing, they're basically deterred and they move on. Um, We do get the occasional bear um, going after chicken feed. So sometimes folks will store the chicken outside of the coop. Sometimes it's stored inside the coop. And so we occasionally will get a bear that goes into the chicken coop. and, you know, sometimes in that instance, they're after the chicken feed, they may take a chicken here and there, too. Um, so those types of things do happen um, as it relates to, you know, other types of agriculture and livestock and things like that. Um, we don't get a huge number of complaints with that. But if you look to other parts of the country, you know, when bears get into corn, they can do some damage there. Um, but for the most part, you know, our bear population right now is, is really um, – utilizing the biggest forested parts of the state. And, you know, when we think about the bulk of our population, it's really south of Highway 44. And, and the the most dense part of our population is really south of Highway 60 in the southern part of the state. And so um, in those areas, we certainly do have bears that interact with some agricultural practices. 
practices. Um, but in terms of like row crop and things like that, it's not as extensive. Um, but we do work with a lot of residents to be proactive in addressing those kinds of issues before they before they become a problem. Cool. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. You know, a, a bear might eat 20,000 calories a day, you were saying in the fall. But if I do it, it's a problem. You know, what's the Right. That's not fair. Right. <laughs> I know. I, I've always said I'd, I'd love to be a be like a bear in the fall, right? You could just eat all that comfort food and not worry Nobody about it. Nobody judges you. Uh, exactly. But that's, that is their adaptation to make it through the winter. And so, you know, it's an incredible uh, feat that they're able to do that. And, you know, in some places, they may den for upwards of six months. They don't den for that long here, but um, but their body is really designed to accumulate that fat layer and then utilize it throughout the winter during those food shortages. That's cool. That's awesome. Do, uh, do we happen to know if they, uh, I mean, I'm sure they do. Cause like you said, they're opportunist, but what about as far as fawns go, like our deer population, do, they, do you think they have a significant damage to them or pro- probably just every once in a while? Or even be- I was thinking Turkey when you said, yeah, you know, on the egg, ground, you know, the eggs, eggs the nest and stuff like that. Or is that anything that we yeah, really so- know? Yeah, so with bears, um, we have not specifically looked at that with our bear population in terms of their diet, but we can look to other states. And, um, and you know, we know with bears in general, they're omnivores, but the largest portion of their diet consists of plant matter. So they, they really, although they're considered carnivores, um, they do rely very, very heavily on that plant matter. Now, um, like you said, bears are opportunistic, and if they came across that easy opportunity, they might take advantage of it, but it doesn't account for any substantial portion of their diet. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I always, I mean, I knew they were omnivores, and I always assumed it was kind of just, they did what they did, but it's kind of cool to know that they mainly eat, you know, plant-based food for the most part, so... You know, when you talk, when we ask right. you questions about livestock and deer and turkey, it's kind of nice to know that for the most part, I'm sure they, they do some killing, but for the most part, they, you know, it's, probably it's stick a to moot themselves. point. Probably yeah. stick to themselves pretty good. So. Right, right, exactly. So as it relates to food, one thing Mike and I were talking before we called you was as they their numbers continue to grow here in Missouri, one thing that I know that I've never, you know, thought about before is when, you know, my wife and I and the kids have gone camping before. You used to have to worry about a raccoon getting into your food every once in a while. But do you see, so I guess my question is, do you see a learning curve with campers in Missouri? I mean, you know how big this state is with camping. And do you see a learning curve on people as as the bear population continues to grow? You know, they're going to have to start being more cognizant of what they do at night when they go into the the tent or whatever they've got with them. Um, Has there been some sort of, uh, I'm guessing you guys have kind of thought about that and kind of put some sort of education out there for the the basic Missouri camper, but have you seen any issues in campgrounds and, and what, what's going on there? Yeah. So we, we do get some and, and you're absolutely a learning curve for, you know, recognizing that you're in bear country, right? And and so it's not just for campers, it's for residents also. So when you think about this growing and expanding population, you know, and the fact that we get bears around Lake of the Ozarks and we bears, you know, south of St. Louis and in some of these areas, these are locations 
our folks have never had to think about living with a bear in their lifetime, right? You've never, right. you would never think about those areas as being bear country. You know, most folks think, oh, you go to the Smokies, right? And you're in bear country. But the reality of it is uh, that especially the southern half of the state, but really, you know, the potential lies for anywhere about recognizing that, you know, you do have bears on the landscape as well. And so we do have a big bear aware program, a be bear aware program, um, that program has sent out mailers to campgrounds throughout the southern part of the state. We've worked with those campgrounds to put up signage and things like that. Um, in some areas, we've worked with them to get bear-proof dumpsters or bear-resistant dumpsters um, and, and really try to provide that education. And then in addition to that, um, we do a lot of media releases related to Be Bear Aware. So every May, we do a big press release about being bear aware. Uh, we've got tons of programming that goes on our Facebook page, on our Twitter account, on our website about being bear aware. And you're right. It, it is one of those things where, you know, you might have been camping in the Ozarks your entire life and never had encountered a bear. And then and then you might go down there one summer and there's one in the camp. Right. And so recognizing that there are some, um, you know, common sense things that you would do um, and very similar, like you said, that you would do to keep raccoons out. Right. But it's, it's for bears. So you got to be a little bit more cognizant of it. Um, you know, the big thing is you never bring food into your tent. So bears have an absolutely incredible sense of smell. It's better than a dog's sense of smell. And they use that sense of smell to seek out those food sources. And, and we've already talked about them being opportunistic and omnivore. So, so mean a variety of different things, right? Yeah. So never bringing any kind of food into your tent. And, and you should really go as far as making sure you're not bringing any type of scent attractant, right? So think about deodorant or hand lotion or toothpaste. All of those things should stay outside of your sleeping area as well. Um, making sure you keep a really clean camp. You're not leaving any kind of food scraps out, you know, no food left on the picnic table. Um, you don't leave coolers just out at night. Um, those kinds of things need to get stored in a locked vehicle or in a bear resistant can or hung properly from a tree that bears can't get into. Um, or there's techniques to hang your food from trees so that bears can't have easy access to it. And we have some guidance on our website about, you know, how far away from your campsite you'd want to do. But you're right. There's, there's definitely that learning curve there. And so, you know, we rely a lot on getting the word out to those campgrounds, getting the word out to the various parks where folks might be going to, and then hoping there's that person to person um, kind of, you know, transfer of knowledge there. Right. So we're having this conversation. Hopefully if one of your listeners is listening and they've got a family member that camps in the Ozarks, now's the perfect opportunity to say, Hey, just remember you're going to bear country. And so if you haven't thought about it, there's some things you might want to think about when you're, when you're going down there. Yeah. Okay. And, and what's something that we can do if we do become face to face and potentially, you know, have an attack? What, what's something that you should do if you're looking at a bear in the eyes? <laughs> <laughs> you're staring right, down the barrel yeah, so, besides peeing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so in general, uh, you know, bears, they are far more likely to be long gone before you even realize they're there. You know, they're very keenly aware of human activity and things like that. But, but if, if you are, you know, in that off, off chance that you see a bear while you're out hiking or, you know, you come out of your tent and there's a bear at the campsite, um, the best thing that you can do is slowly back out of the area. Um, you can raise your hands above your head to make yourself look bigger. Um, so, you know, bears, they don't want to hey, Laura, get into conflict with people, you know. Yep. 
why don't you repeat? We lost you there for a second. So you said raise your hand above your head to look bigger, and then we lost you after that. So what did you say after that? Because I think it might be important for people to oh, hear sure. that one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so if, if you do happen to encounter a bear, you know, the best thing that you can do is um, basically give that bear an escape route, but let the bear know you're there. You know, you can raise your arms above your head to look bigger. You can talk to the bear in a calm voice. Um, you know, basically you're just letting the bear know of your presence and you kind of just back out of the area to safe distance and let that bear go. Um, if it's something where you see a bear in your yard, you can bang pots and pans. You can let the bear know that you're there, you know, try to deter the bear from the area. Um, but if, you know, regardless of where you are, it's good to kind of take stock as to what brought the bear in, right? Was there any food that brought the bear in? Was it just passing through? If there was food that attracted it, you know, once that bear's gone, that's your opportunity to make sure it's cleaned up. Uh, and the other thing, you know, with bears, they have kind of an escape mechanism, right? So, so if a bear feels threatened, they will often run up a tree. And huh. that is one of their defense mechanisms it's not an opportunity for a photo op, right? <laughs> so it's real tempting with that bear up the tree to snap a couple photos from below the tree. Uh, but that bear basically feels uncomfortable. And so it's, it's moved up that tree to kind of get away from the situation. So basically back out of the area and that bear will come down when it's comfortable. Sometimes it takes until dark. So it kind of depends on the level of disturbance that, you know, the bear encountered. But sometimes that bear will sit up in that tree until it's dark. And, and wait until it's dark to come down and move out of the area. So that's, that's not unusual. Um, and bears have other kind of ways of telling you that they're uncomfortable, right? So um, they might stomp the ground. They make a jaw-popping sound. That it really sounds like them clacking their jaws. Um, and it's a way of them telling you they're uncomfortable. They might huff a little bit. Um, but these are basically all of your warning signs that tell you you're just too close. And so that's your chance to take stock of the situation, back out of the area calmly, give that bear an escape route. Um, and then once it's gone, recognize if there was something that attracted it to the area. Mike and I were talking, we had always heard that. So we go out West. And so, you know, when people talk about the difference between a black bear and a grizzly, when they attack, and we had always heard that if a black bear attacks, you better be re ready to fight back because it's attacking for a reason. Uh, they don't typically want to fight or do things that, you know, um, are very aggressive. Whereas like a grizzly sometimes would attack just to show you its boss and not necessarily to kill. Um, so is that typically true? Is, uh, when you see a black bear attack, it's because it, it feels like its life is threatened or that it needs to fight for its life uh, in general? So, so, you know, I think... I think that's kind of a, a twofold question there. And, and one thing to just keep in mind, bear attacks on humans are very rare, exceptionally rare. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've never had a bear attack on a human in Missouri. Um, and when you look to kind of across the United States, especially when you're talking about black bears, it, it's something that's a very rare occurrence. Um, but it can happen. It's a wild animal, right? So sure. there's always that possibility of a negative interaction with a wild animal. Um, and so, you know, there's, the, you know, that advice of giving the bear the escape route, making sure that, you know, you're not um, doing anything that's drawing it in and things like that. Um, and so when, you know, when you look to bear attacks kind of across the country, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to tease out exactly what happened. And um, in some instances, it appears the bear may be acting in a predatory manner where it might have viewed that human as a potential source. Um, in other instances, it might be a defense type of attack. But but you're right, with, with black bear, um, you know, the guy is 
if you have a bear that makes physical contact with you, fight back. And so you're trying to deter that bear from doing anything further. So, you know, grabbing a stick or a rock or whatever you have available to fight back. Um, Some folks do carry bear spray and bear spray is not something that's meant to be just a general preventative, right? You'll hear folks that might spray it on their tent to deter bears or spray it around their campground. Uh, That is the exact opposite of what you want to do. Bears might be attracted to that smell on the ground and roll around in it and things like that. So you don't want to do that. Bear spray is really meant to be um, a deterrent that stops that immediate attack. So it's used in those situations where the bear is coming towards you. And uh, my advice to folks, if they're interested in carrying bear spray, um, I would say educate yourself on how to properly use it. Because in some instances, you may run the risk of spraying yourself or your, your hiking partners or your camping partners or things like that. Um, and you want to make sure you're using it properly in those situations. So um, we do have a video on our website um, where we show an example of, of how you can use it. Um, if somebody were interested, they can search, you know, use of bear spray. There's a lot of how-to videos on the proper way to deploy bear spray and when you would actually do it. So you don't deploy bear spray in the instance that, you know, you just see a bear cross the path and it, and it walks away. That's not the instance where you do it. Um, it's in that more immediate instance if a bear is coming directly towards you kind of thing. Um, but just educate yourself on how and when to use it if it's something that you did want to carry. And if, if you're hiking or camping and you feel the need to have bear spray with you, that's not something to have zipped up in a backpack or locked away in your vehicle or things like that. You know, bear spray is intended to be carried, carried right there with you so you could grab it in the instance that you needed it. Yeah, I, I kind of picture those videos you always see when somebody tries to pepper spray somebody else and then they spray themselves in the eye. <laughs> right, right, exactly. No, exactly. And, and with bear spray, it's deployed differently than it would be with human pepper spray. I mean, it's a big canister that creates essentially a big fog. And so it's designed to stop that bear from proceeding forward. Uh, So you definitely want to be aware of how you're supposed to be using it. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, that's some good information about the the bears in our state. Uh, uh, It's kind of cool to see. Same thing with when we talked about elk, you know, they're a native animal. And I I like that native animals are back. And so it's kind of cool to see that, you know, we have – you know, upwards to close to a thousand, you know, depending on if, if the, the numbers are closer to the higher number of 840, it's pretty cool to see that. So, so as a result now, yeah, and go ahead, Laura. I was going to, I was going to say, and with, you know, with that population estimate, so right now we're, you know, we're estimating between 540 and 840, uh, 840 bears in the state. Uh, but we know our population has grown at about 9% annually. So, so it is growing and just thinking about, kind of this resurgence in our black bear population and the fact that this native species is is present within our forested areas and increasing in numbers. Uh, it's a huge conservation success story, right? It's really a testament to the residents of this state uh, that have, you know, conserved habitat and um, participated in various conservation efforts. This is really one of those huge conservation success stories. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's... That's the idea. So, you know, with those numbers, obviously, you know, and a lot of the people are kind of wanting to talk about this. MDC is now talking about the uh, the possibility of a bear season. And I know you guys had just kind of are wrapping up um, public comment period for the possibility of a bear season. But why don't you um, 
get into some of the stuff you know about the the possible bear season season being proposed and kind of you know then we might ask some questions based on kind of what you're going off of there but give us some of that some of that uh, gossip yep so so right now like you said uh, given our growing population um, the department has released a proposed framework for um, a limited and highly regulated bear season and um, we basically just finished up the public input aspect of that proposed framework. So um, in, on May 18th, we released that proposed fam- framework and then allowed folks to basically look at the different components of that framework and then provide uh, their input on those very specific components of the framework. And then the idea will take that public input and refine that framework based on that public input um, for future recommendations. And um, any proposal would go to our conservation commission in September. Um, The earliest we could have a season here in Missouri would be October of 2021. So it's not anything where we would have a season this year. And like you said, we're still kind of in that um, proposal process. Um, but kind of the general sideboards around that season, again, it's limited and highly regulated. So we're proposing um, the establishment of three bear management zones. Um, we are proposing we would establish harvest quotas for each of those bear management zones, as well as um, allocating permit numbers for each of those bear management zones. Um, the proposal as it stands right now um, is for the season to begin the third Monday in October and run for 10 days or until those zone-specific harvest quotas are reached. Uh, and right now the proposal is for Missouri residents only, so um, no non-resident permits with this current proposal. Um, the hunting method, the same, basically the same methods as, as deer and elk, including LL for archery. Um, and then um, we are proposing at this time that we would not allow the use of bait or dogs. So it would be still hunting for bears. So when you talk about um, limited numbers, are you thinking about doing a lottery setup like elk, the elk um, lottery this year or more just uh, over the counter? And then once a certain number of permits have been sold, you know, that's that, or have they thought about how they're going to go about doing that? Yeah, so the proposal right now is for a lottery aspect of it. So we would have an application process where folks would apply for the specific bear management zone that they would want to hunt in, and then we would have a, a random draw for uh, for those permits. And we're also proposing at this time um, allocating 10% of those their management zone specific permits to landowners that have 20 contiguous acres within those bear management zones um, that apply for the permit also. So kind of having um, this landowner, um, a way to kind of encourage landowner participation as well. Cool. And as far as the public, have you heard, have we've heard good things about the potential to hunting or bad things? I mean, you might not be able to answer. Yeah, you might not know, but out of your experience, what have they been saying? You know, you know, bears are one of those things where you see the whole spectrum of wildlife values, right, and opinions related to bears. So um, I think that's what we've been seeing. But again, um, you know, right now where we are at this point, we just closed that public input process. So we're going through all of those comments that we've received, um, looking at those specific comments related to the framework, and we'll use that input to help refine those recommendations. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, that's what I would assume. I, I was on one, I don't remember where I was, Laura, but I was on some Facebook group page and you kind of saw, you know, a little bit of everything. You saw people who were probably obviously hunters 
and other people who obviously weren't. And, you know, Micah and I are hunters. Um, we we hunt, but um, we also respect the resource, and you know, we would never do things unethical. And so I think that's where you see some people who aren't hunters um, have a, a are staunchly against it because they think every hunter is horrible and they're gonna you know uh, well, mow they, them all down. And, yeah, they look at it more as a trophy hunt when actually you can eat bear meat. It's, it's pretty actually, darn tasty. It's pretty oh. good. <laughs> and I absolutely. Mean, yeah, so I think, you know, that's that's Absolutely. probably what you're seeing on the, the comments is, you know, a difference in those two. But, um, you know, to each their own. If you don't hunt, you don't hunt. If you do, you do. But the um, the big thing is, you know, making sure we respect our resource where, number one, we don't hunt it to the point of, I forget that word you used at the beginning, extirpation. Extirpation. I did it right. right. Yes. Yep. Give me a high five. <laughs> and uh, you don't um, you don't hunt them to the point that they're extirpated again, and you also don't you know go so far to the other side where they're overpopulated and causing problems throughout the state. Um, you know, there's always a, a perfect middle ground for any animal. Um, so it'll That's be right. interesting That's to see right. kind of what yeah. happens there. But um, what are some other? Is there anything else when it comes to the bear hunting season that is being proposed that you think is important for folks to know, at least right now? Well, I mean, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the utilization of the resource, right? So, so there are some folks that don't know that you eat bear. And um, it's, it's an incredible protein, you know, a wild protein. And um, that is part of this proposal that hunters, just like with our other game species, you'd have to make an effort to retrieve the commonly edible portions. So, so it is about that utilization of the resource also. And that's, and that's really important. Um, and recognizing that, um, you know, we want folks to be able, that's why we're, we're talking about providing this opportunity to utilize that valuable resource. Um, and I think the other thing, you know, when you think about bears, um, you know, there's the discussions about that hunting season and, and the proposed, the proposed hunting season. And that's one, but when you think about bear management as a whole, um, I think one of the things that we really like to highlight is that bear management is really multifaceted, right? It's not, um, a one size fits all by any means. It's not just one aspect of it. So when we're talking about this proposed hunting season, that's one component related to the bear management program. So our right now the proposed hunting season is really to provide that opportunity um, discussing that limited and highly regulated harvest here. Um, as that population continues to grow, our bear management plan does identify um, that we would look to establish population benchmarks and hunting would be an essential component of that. Um, but when you think about bear management, there's a lot of other things that go into it too. And, and like you said, you know, um, we were talking about camping and we were talking about hiking and we were talking about bears showing up in neighborhoods and things Right. There is a huge educational component of bear management. That's a big part of it. Um, recognizing that folks live in bear country and, and what does that mean for you? What does that mean for, um, you know, how you might think about your um, campsite or how you might think your residence and, or your farm and things like that? Um, and then there's also that part, you know, with our research project, we're gaining huge insights into bear habitat use and what type of habitat is important for bears in Missouri and how might that change as that population continues to grow and uh, where are some of these corridors that might funnel bears into other parts of the state, right? So maybe we can use that information to be proactive with education. That's one of the big things that we're looking at 
um, identifying some of these communities where maybe you don't have bear issues now, but based on how bears use the landscape, it's highly likely that as that population grows, you will in the future. So we can do a whole lot on the front end to address that before it even becomes an issue. Um, And then, you know, recognizing that when humans and bears share the landscape, human bear conflict will happen. Right. It right. will never, ever be down to zero. That's that's an unrealistic expectation. But we can do everything in our power to minimize human bear conflict and then address it when it does occur. So being really proactive in trying to, you know, educate folks on how you can minimize it and prevent it. But then when it does happen, work directly with those residents. And we have tons of staff throughout the regions that um, work with residents that experience bear issues and try to alleviate and help them alleviate those concerns. You know, we've got folks that will go out and set up a temporary electric fence around your beehive so the bear doesn't come back and do that until you can get your own fence put up Um, or go out and take a look at your yard and point out what, you know, what might have attracted the bear um, and work with communities. So, you know, it's not I may I may remove my bird feeders, but if my neighbors have food that's accessible to bears, guess what? The bear might still come through the neighborhood. Um, so right. recognizing, you know, it's not an individual effort. It's kind of a community effort in many of those cases. But um, it's a really key component of, of bear management. You know, we want folks to recognize the value that bears have in our ecosystem. They are a key component of Missouri's biodiversity. And and like we talked about, it's this huge conservation success story that we have bears on our landscape. And, you know, bears hold a lot of different values for different people. You know, everybody has their different viewpoints on bears and their opinions on bears and things like that. Uh, But we want folks to understand uh, you know, the, the exceptional aspects that these, the species has in our landscape. Um, and, and part of that is making sure that, you know, they aren't causing issues or that if they do have, if folks do have problems, we address those issues right away um, so that we can maintain that positive aspect of having bears on the landscape. Yeah. And I mean, we, we said it before and obviously we're, we're hunters. And so, this is a show, uh, a podcast mostly about Missouri outdoors, and it has a lot to do with hunting and fishing and things like that. So most likely someone who's not a hunter isn't listening to us anyway. But, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that a lot of people think is hunters just want to kill stuff. I mean, hunters are some of the biggest conservationists there are um, that, you know, donate their money to the conservation of animals so that they can continue to get to enjoy the resource. And mm-hmm. so and there's a lot of hunters out there that, that want this to be the right thing for bears not for them because if it's right if it's right for bears it's going to be right for the hunter and so you know it, it it'll be interesting to see what happens i mean i know i would guess at some point we're definitely going to have a seasons one way or another down the road whether it's in 2021 or not uh this population looks like it's going to keep going up and that's good so yeah I'm, i mean i'm i'm excited about it i think there's good things coming down the line but i mean we were talking there a little bit about you know human and bear um, getting in the way of each other have we had any issues with poaching or anything like that you know those kinds of things do crop up occasionally um we we have had some instances of of bears um, being killed in that manner um we also have had bears you know hit on some of our hops so you know we've got 
Highway 60 and 44 and Highway 65 that kind of goes through some some prime bear habitat. So we do occasionally get bears um, hit on the roads, and then and then like we talked about earlier, you know, we do occasionally get bears removed as part of those those landowner conflicts. So so we do see um, those various types of of mortality factors that that come into play there. Yeah, which I mean, that's is going to happen. It's going to happen yep. anywhere. When, right. when they come together, I mean, there's highways all over, and as they continue to move for the, further north, it's probably going to continue. More there's, more. there's more highways, more people. Right. So, But um, we really appreciate you coming on and kind of talking. I mean, like I said, we, we were more excited just to learn more about the science behind our bears. Um, yep. we, we've got a list of like five more questions that we didn't even get to ask just because, <laughs> you know, you just, we keep going with, uh, one thing and then another question makes you think about something else. So right. we, we were excited to learn about it. Um, and then, you know, kind of the details on the, uh, the proposed season, um, you know, and mm-hmm. like I was saying, Micah, it'll happen at some point, whether, right. whether this turns into a hunting season in 2021 or not to me, doesn't really matter. I mean, cool. It, It'd be nice if it does, but it if it's 2022 or 23, I think it's probably going to be something that we're going to have the opportunity to harvest, you know, a bear a legal way in this state at some point. And that's what's cool. When I was a young guy, there was no talk of elk, bear, you know, mountain lions, anything. And now all those 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 things are are back in our state. And I think that's pretty cool. Right. Very exciting cool. times to be in missouri right yeah it is absolutely so is there anything else that uh before we get off here is there anything else you would like to add you know i think if, if folks are interested in in learning more about bears or if they want to check out some of that bearware information uh, we've got loads and loads of information on our website so if they go to mdc.mo.gov slash bears um, that's kind of the one-stop shop they can um, see the uh, Black Bear Management Plan, which is a 10-year plan, so it goes from 2020 to 2030, so they can see the, the management plan there. Um, it links up to our research project and our bear story map, which is kind of a just a fun way of providing some updates on bears and facts about bears and, and stuff like that. Um, and then there's also the proposed framework. Um, and then if anybody has bear sightings, you can submit those sightings directly through our website. You can upload a photo, uh, submit a and you can't upload a photo or if you have a video um, you get a reply from an actual human being in the bear program um, and you know you can ask additional questions that way or um, you know submit your video that way and things like that but but those sighting reports from the public are one of the ways that we track the range expansion of our population so they're hugely valuable so if anybody has those sightings um, by all means submit them um, but i would say you know right now we're just at a really exciting time with bears. We've got this growing and exciting population, um, this proposal for that potential hunting season, the brand new updated management plan. Uh, so I'd say visit the website. There's loads of information there. Cool. And we'll drop a link to the website you just uh, gave everybody to in our show uh, show notes as well. So they can go through there if they need to, to get more information. So thank you for coming on. And um, if we don't have anything else, we'll, uh, we'll holler at you later. Thank you. Sounds good. All right, that's the show today. Hope everybody enjoyed the topics, uh, learned something. I learned a lot about bears. No, she definitely gave a lot of good information out there. Yeah, um, there's a lot to know about them, and, you know, there's a lot of people just learning about what is going to go into, you know, bear season or just bears in general in our state. So I think it was good for everybody to learn about um, 
Yeah, this this is topic. This would probably be a good one that you want to send to your friends that don't care about bear hunting, that realize that hey, maybe there is a use for hunting right. out there. So yeah, yeah. So like us, like we said, hope y'all enjoyed the show, and um, we'll get we'll get with you next time. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. <laughs>